Hey everyone, welcome back to the Noteworthy Podcast. I am your host, Nathan French, and today is a very special day for me. And I hope that it's a blessing to you because in today's episode, I had the privilege of interviewing one of my heroes. I mean, I don't remember life without Brother Wayne Huntley being one of my heroes. I've always wanted to be like him. I've always watched his preaching. I've always seen how he leads his family. And in today's episode, you're going to hear a lot of behind the scenes of Brother Wayne Huntley. It's going to be a very special time, a very noteworthy conversation. You may have heard him at events like North American Youth Congress. You may have heard him preach the treasure is in the field at General Conference in 2019, a life-changing message. He's preached camp meetings all over North America and abroad, and you are going to be very blessed by his ministry today. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right to it with one of my heroes, Brother Wayne Huntley. friends, I just wanted to hop on here real quick before we dive into the interview to let you know that we did have some Wi-Fi connectivity problems during this interview. There are a couple times where it almost sounds like he's slowing down or the audio is speeding up a little bit. I just wanted to clarify that that was during the recording. It could not be edited out, but I felt like what Brother Huntley was saying was so vital and so important. I did not edit anything out when it when the audio messed up just a little bit because I felt like I would be doing you as the listener a disservice to not be able to hear some of the things that he spoke to me during the interview. So we've left it in there. It's raw. It's unedited because I believe it's going to bless you. But forgive us. Some of the audio quality does speed up and slow down every once in a while because of the Wi-Fi connection during the interview. It was out of myself and Brother Huntley's control. So thank you for understanding, but I think you're going to be very blessed by the conversation. So let's dive in. Here you go, Brother Wayne Huntley. Oh, wonderful. Brother Huntley, I am so uh, thankful, honored, and privileged to have the opportunity uh, to speak with you today um, you have always been one of my heroes for as long as I can remember, and I wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Well, I'm very humbled by that. It's a great privilege to be with you. I appreciate so very much you, your family, your passion for the things of God, your love for the apostolic truth. Thank you, Brother Huntley. You know, I had the privilege of attending your church for a very short amount of time. Uh, my father was evangelizing, uh, and all of my family was basically traveling when my father was working on his PhD. 
and I want you to know your blessing, uh, your ministry meant so much to the French family throughout that season. Right before we came uh, to Georgia, you and your family blessed us so much, and I'm thankful for the Temple of Pentecost and everything that's happening there in Raleigh, North Carolina. Well, it was a high privilege just to have a moment in the life of the French family and try to provide a bridge from their past and we were thrilled to be at the right place at the right time to know these wonderful people oh thank you brother Huntley well well I, I want to dive in I've got a lot of questions and I know I know a lot of people are uh, envious of me right now to get to have uh, your undivided attention to get some questions that, that they've always wanted to ask you and I'm excited and honored to get to be the one uh, to ask them to you today. I know people have seen you minister across the movement at events like NAYC, General Conference, Because of the Times, camp meetings all across North America. I know you were just preaching a camp meeting last week. Would you mind sharing how this journey started for you? When did you first feel a call to the ministry? And was it a one-time experience or a series of events that led you into this life of preaching the gospel? Well, it was seen that from the very time that I was born, this was my destiny. Even though we were not in an apostolic truth church, when a lot of people don't realize, but my father was a church of God preacher for a very brief few moments, uh, just a very short two or three years. And then wow. he was overtaken by sin and never came back to the Lord. But in that period of time that he was a minister, I remember as a little bitty boy going to a Church of God camp meeting, and my mom and dad holding my hand, walking under this tent-like pavilion. And when I stepped under there as a little boy, it's just it's an amazing thing, but there was an aurora that came over me, a spirit that came over me. And it seemed to be saying, this is your destiny. Wow. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to be. Well, I didn't give much attention to that because I was filled with the Holy Ghost when I was 13, as you know, in the state of Georgia, travel from North Carolina with my uncle. And then when I was 17 years old, I began to feel the call of God into the ministry. Without my father in my life at that time, totally gone, he was usually either intoxicated or in, in prison. So my mother was my guiding light, my counsel and my one that I talked to. And so I began to feel this massive burden come on me. And at first I thought that I had done something wrong, that I that I had sinned. It was a conviction type strong feeling. And uh, it, it lasted for a couple weeks. I'd be driving my little Chevrolet to work. I went to school half a day and then I went to uh, work trying to help my mother with the bills of our family. And I would be driving my little car and just start crying. I had to pull off the road. And I really didn't know what in the world was going on. Wow. So finally, I, I uh, went to my mother and I asked her one night. I said, Mama, you know, you tell me that my daddy was a preacher. I said, maybe you can help me. I had a great pastor at that time, but somehow I just didn't feel comfortable. I was more or less intimidated to go to him. And so I said, you know, you were with lie to be in the ministry. 
how do you know if you're called to preach? My mother was a very precious lady. She said, well, Wayne, honey, all I can tell you is that it is a great, great burden. Well, one Sunday after that, at our little church in Charlotte, uh, the worship service was going on. I dropped to my knees between the pews on the floor. Just, I felt I'd come to the end of the way. I couldn't carry this burden any any longer. I needed some direction. I needed an answer. And I was pouring my heart out to God as to what is the situation? Well, what's going on in my life? And finally, I just went through a series of possibilities. And I came to ministry. And I felt like the Lord was saying, I'm calling you to preach. And it was an emotional time for me. Still is today when I think about how precious the call of God is. I just simply said, Lord, if, if you're trying to call me to preach and that's what you want for my life, I said, you're making a big mistake. I said, because <laughs> I really, I have nothing to offer you, Lord. Zero. I'm, I'm a nothing. Oh I goodness. have nothing to give to you. I have nothing to offer you. And it was then the burden lifted. It was like the Lord said, that's it exactly. And when that burden lifted, I said, okay. I have no words come out of my mouth. Then our pastor was in the pulpit, and he said, where's Wayne at? Where's Wayne? And somebody pointed to me in the floor. He said, Wayne, come up here. you got something to tell the church. And it was just a supernatural, miraculous intervention from God. And so beyond a shadow of a doubt, I may question a lot of things, but I will never question the call of God to preach on my life. Wow. And I might say I feel that is most necessary and basic fundamental foundation for an effective ministry is an undeniable call from God. My uncle, who had been in my life, very special man, the one who took me to to the, to the camp in Georgia where I got the Holy Ghost, he said, Wayne, if you're going to preach, he said, you need to go to Bible college. He said, I didn't get to go to college. I didn't get to study. I want to help you, Wayne. He said, we're going to, I saw in the back of a magazine that there's a thing called a She's for Christ scholarship. He said, I'm going to help you get that, Wayne. You need that. Wow. And I got, I got the scholarship to Texas Bible College in 1968. To show you how long ago that was, the youth president was Tom Fred Tenney. <laughs> wow. And to exaggerate the time even more, I was notified by a telegram that I had won the Chiefs Cross scholarship. Wow. Wow. That is that amazing. That's way back there. Way back there. <laughs> when I got to Texas, God began to open doors for me. And a lot of people think I'm from Texas because you could say I started my ministry in Texas. Texas was so good to me. Contacts were made, and it opened a door of ministry beyond my greatest comprehension to believe. Wow, that is so amazing, Brother Huntley. Thank you for sharing that with the listeners today. So, 17, you feel a call into the ministry. There's undeniable signs from God. And then you're serving in the ministry. I know you evangelized for a while. Um, What are some challenges that you have faced in ministry, and how did you overcome them once you stepped into the ministry? I guess the greatest challenge that I've had in ministry or had uh, in ministry starting out was a tremendous intimidation factor. People perhaps would not believe that today because when the Holy Spirit comes on you with an anointing, there's a boldness like a lion. 
and confidence that comes. But uh, when I started ministering, I had a tremendous intimidation factor. And uh, especially when I came to Raleigh to start the church, I had five people all around us was large assembly of gods, large church of gods, large Baptist churches. And when I came to North Carolina, Pentecost was not respected or revered at all. They were looked down upon and thought to be simple-minded people with fanatical doctrines and weird ways of life. And I had to struggle my way through that intimidation to believe that, that God is great and what I'm doing is great to the fact that one day when I was in Bible college, God said, I'm going to do something special for you today. He said, I'm going to remove the scales from your eyes and let you see what you are a part of. I'd always thought it was just a small group of people with, you know, radical ideas. Wow. But he removed the scales and showed me that what I'm a part of is the answer to the world's dilemma, the world's problems. It is the greatest thing on earth. It's second to nothing. It is no, there is no greater privilege, no greater honor, no greater joy than to be an apostolic Pentecostal preacher and no truth. And from that day forward, I was never again intimidated about what I was a part of, who I was, and what I was. We are privileged people. I've never felt that I was sacrificing. I've never felt that I've done without. I've never felt that we were disadvantaged. I've always felt since that time that this is the greatest honor and privilege in the world, and that God is for us, and if he be for us, who can be against us? Wow. Wow. Amen. That is so good, sir. So good. Um, now, I'd, I'd love for the listeners to to get to know uh, a little behind the scenes. And, you know, I know a lot of people, they see you in the pulpit, or they see you at a conference at a convention. Uh, but I'd love for people to just to get to know, how do you... Uh, unwind and unplug occasionally from your hectic schedule. I know you travel a lot. I know that you're extremely involved on a local level. And so uh, what does that look like for you when you decide, hey, I'm going to unplug, I'm going to take a few days. What is some things that you like to do behind the scenes? Well, of course, number one, the foundation for my unwinding and, and renewing and refreshing, number one is to remember that what I do and what I am, I must be the same in front of my family and my children, right. grandchildren. Right. But along with that, I go into a into a posture and a position where that ministry is not mentioned much. What I, the camp meeting I just preached or the conference I just preached, I learned early that doesn't mean anything to my family or children. <laughs> right. They're not. They're not impressed. They are not impressed. I'm grand. When I come home, I'm grand buddy, you right, know. Right. And I play with them, and and I get on their level. Uh, you know, I was told that mountain climbers, uh, most of them that die do not survive in their feet of trying to conquer the mountain. They do not die going up the mountain. They die coming down the mountain. Wow. And so I think it's important for apostolic preachers to realize. Yes. We have powerful mountaintop experiences that are glorious, where we are encountering the supernatural and things that are not of this world and such privileges that are beyond human imagination. But yet, when it's time to come down off that mountain, we must be able to translate back into a grandfather that can play games with the kids, be silly, entertain them, 
right. take them hunting, take them fishing, so good. and just show them the reality and the humanity that goes along with the blessing of the Lord. And so my challenge is to realize that they're not impressed with me talking about the last camp meeting or the next meeting I'm going to be at. That's just that's just taken for granted. They, my method of renewing and refreshing is to just enjoy them, spend time with them, and allow the Lord to remind me that this is who I am, this is where I came from, and that this is the greatest joy and privilege on earth, and let them be a part on that level so that when they see me in the next level, it's not somebody they don't know. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. So I, when you decide, hey, I'm going to take this time and you're going to unwind, unplug with family, what's some things that you like to do as a family with the grandkids to unplug? Well, for the last number of years, um, at Christmas, we take a week and go to Disney World with just our family. Oh, that's fun. And we stay in a condominium together. And uh, we're all together eating meals and going to Disney and just being together for that week. And then also I have special events. The Lord has blessed me. I have an actual cabin, an hour and a half from Raleigh in the deer woods where we like to go hunt. And all my kids, grandkids have learned to hunt. They learn, they love to be at the camp, whether they're hunting or not. We have good food. We have fellowship. We have fun. Uh, we just play games. They play games and, and enjoy being together and sharing in that outdoor time and and just being in the woods together total break out in the middle of nowhere just us and that has been a very formative time for me to hunt with them i sit in a deer stand with them one at a time and act silly and and what i like to do is take them to the grocery store (laughs) before we go to the stand and i say now buy anything you want and you're going to eat it you're going to have it for us to eat in the deer stand so we always say what happens in the deer stand stays in the deer stand (laughs) So I go by and buy them all the treats they want. So I think they like that part of it more than the hunting. <laughs> right, right. Wow, that is that is so fun. I, I, and I've always uh, respected that so much about you, Brother Huntley. You can tell that your family is everything to you. And uh, I, I know that the world sees that. So thank you for that example. Now, on If this, I might add one more thing. Yes, yes, that. go ahead. Yes, sir. My my goal and ambition in life has never been to preach a camp meeting, a general conference, or fly overseas and preach the Philippine National Conference or some of the things. Uh, my goal in life has been one thing, and that is to earn the respect of my wife, my children, and my wow. grandchildren, just to be a person that they could respect. That is my goal in life. I don't want my family to ever be ashamed of me. Right. I don't want my family to ever say, uh, yes, I'm sorry, that is my father, that is my grandfather. If someone were to mention my name, I want them to be able to always look at that name with respect. Man, praise God. That's so beautiful. Now, Brother Huntley, on this podcast, um, we focus a lot on uh, daily devotion, You know, people's different stories of how they connect with God on a daily level. Would would you be willing to share some of your daily spiritual disciplines, meaning uh, what does day-to-day devotion look like for you personally? Okay, I appreciate that. 
and that is a somewhat unique question for me. Sure. Uh, in this respect, somewhere years ago, I, I can't say that. Yes, I go to the office every day from nine to eleven, or yes, I'm there from two until four. I'm not, I have never been locked in to devotional times, mm-hmm. time frames. My philosophy has always been that you interrupted my study when you asked me that question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that I mean, I study, I'm open, I'm in tune, I am sensitive, I am aware, I'm listening, I'm feeling. 24-7, I'm plugged into the spirit world. Right. 24-7, I'm plugged into what's around me. My ears are open. I listen to the world news. I listen to saints of God. I listen to other ministers. So good. I listen to what's going on in my life. I listen to what the Spirit is saying unto me. And I have felt the greatest source of, of, of connecting with God and study is prayer. One gentleman said this when I was starting my ministry, and I, I took great credence to it. He said, he who has prayed well has studied well. Mm. And I'm constantly studying. I'm constantly appealing to the Lord for revelation from his word. However, I I really, most of the, I've read my Bible through, you know, many, 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 many times. But just to sit and read the Bible, it doesn't seem to really bring, it brings Bible knowledge to me that I can reflect upon later on. But a lot of times it's actual life stories that I go to the Bible for direction about. And one thing that's always been very blessed, uh, blessed to me is listening to other apostolic preachers. Right. As I listen to them and they're anointed, what they said is not what I heard. What they said prompted another thought Wow. that created a message in my life So good. Uh, that brought about the word of the Lord. It, it wasn't even what they said. It was a springboard for what they said. The anointing led me in a totally different direction. I'll give you a simple illustration. One time I was with Brother Tenney, and I've preached this a lot. You may have heard of it or whatever. But uh, he was reading the text, With God, nothing shall be impossible. Right. Well, when he read that, boom, it slapped me right in the face. I told my wife, I said, Boy, I hope he's not going to preach what I just saw. <laughs> I'd like to have a corner on this, so to speak. Anyway, <laughs> the point was, with God, nothing shall be impossible. I'd always restricted that, limited that God can do anything. You know, there's no object too big for God, no battle too great for God, no obstacle too great for God. But what the Lord showed me was nothing, the word nothing. With God, you can't have nothing. Wow. Oh, my goodness. If you got God, you're going to have something. Oh, wow. (laughs) For with God, nothing is impossible. You can't have God and come up with nothing. Oh, that's so good. Wow. And there's a lot of places in the Bible that validate that. a servant, a prophet prayed and sent his servant to the king, but he said nothing seven times, nothing. He said, oh, no, no. We can't be praying and can't have God come up with nothing. Go look again. And the disciples fished all night. Jesus said, I mean, it's right to God. Nothing is impossible. So those are the kind of things the Lord has, has blessed me with through the anointing of his spirit to come to those understandings. But, uh, so I'm constantly feeling after the Lord. Here's another thing, and I don't know how to say this, but just to say it. Yes, go ahead. Somehow or another, God has been exceedingly gracious to me, exceedingly kind to me. 
And most of the time, he will wake me up early in the morning with the word of the Lord. When I'm sleeping and I'm rested, my spirit is not pursuing. I'm not in contradiction or conflict or pursuit of life. I'm totally zoned out, you may say. Right. It's then that the word of the Lord will come to me, and I will wake up, and I will write a message down verbatim, word for word, exactly what he would want me to preach. Oh, wow. And so a lot of these conference messages and camp meeting messages, the Lord would wake me in the morning, and uh, this is it. This is what I want you to say. And boom, 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 there it is. Now, I know that's kind of odd. Men go to their office, study, and study, and study for a message. I have never done that. Study is a way of life. It's the way you live. It's staying in tune with God. Right. It's staying sensitive to the Spirit. I, I never say, well, church is over. I'm done. Turn God off. Turn the Bible off. Right. Now I'm going to go hunting. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go to work. No, no. That was 24-7, 365. You walk in the Spirit. You know, you live in the Spirit. And therefore, you're available to God to speak to you at any time. Wow. That is so good. And what I do, the, my iPhone has been a real blessing to me because it has a section on there for notes. Yeah. And anytime, anywhere, I get a thought, I put it in my notes. And then also I have a Bible concordance on my phone. So I'm ready to study where, if I'm in a deer stand, I'm ready to study. And wherever I'm at, I'm studying, a moment, sitting in an airport, waiting on an airplane. I have my study material with me. But I think that the, the real issue is not so much cutting out two hours a day. I'm not against that. If that works for you, God bless you. That's great. But my philosophy is walk in the Spirit yeah. and be sensitive to the Spirit and give God a lot more time to talk to you than just when you go in with a two-hour window, you're under pressure, you can't think, you can't get the mind of God, you're racing, you're rushing. And uh, for me, it's hard for God to speak to me when I'm in a panic. Right, right. Wow, that makes so much sense. And that's such good application for, for the listeners and for myself today. Now, you kind of covered this. I, I won't go into your uh, sermon prep process as much because I know you just answered that in some way that you're always studying, you're always preparing, your ears always listening for God. But when you do sit down, like you said, in the early morning hours and you write it out, are you a manuscript prepper or do you do uh, bullet points? How do you get your thoughts down on paper once God speaks to you? Well, I have bullet points, and then I enlarge them into manuscript. And uh, I, I, there's something I, I feel you you got to get through the flesh of humanity to get to their soul. Yeah. And so there's a certain amount of, I hate to use the word, but there's a certain amount of entertainment, sure. mind-teasing, emotion-stirring that you have to do to get into that inner sanctum of the soul wow. to get the word to them. That's good. And there's one thing that I picked up years ago, and that is if you pick up a bottle of chemicals, many of them that are maybe under your sink or in your storage room somewhere, maybe it's uh, a, a cleanser. Uh, some of those liquids will have on the back of it, it will say um, carrier, C-A-R-R-I-E-R, carrier, okay. 93%, 95%. And then it will say active ingredient, 3%, 5%. Well, I've learned in preaching that the sermon is the carrier, but the active ingredient is the message. Oh, wow. So in order to produce something that will appeal to people, reach people, yes. you have to have carrier, 
but you also have to have active ingredient. And usually the active ingredient is not as large as the carrier. The carrier sets it up. The carrier prepares them. The carrier teases them, arrests their attention. And I like to do that with a title that is very nondescript, where they can't read my title and know what I'm going to say. Right. Even when I read my text, a lot of times I read my text, but I don't want them to know what I'm going to say, really. I may tease them to make them think I'm going a certain way, and all of a sudden I turn. Because that's the way I keep their attention, and that's the way you say something a lot of times that they will remember, that they will carry with them the rest of their lives. So, uh, and I build, I learned this early too when I first started preaching. I was preaching for a great apostolic preacher by the name of R.E. Johnson. Mm. And uh, I, I think maybe your dad had some association with R.E. Johnson. And uh, Brother Johnson, I preached one of my first sermons there, and he told me after church that night, he's very kind to me. And, of course, I know he was exaggerating, but he said, Brother Hunt, you preached a great message tonight. And of course, I knew I was just starting and was wanting help. He said, could I help you with your preaching? And, well, he's a camp meeting preacher. You know, I said, yes, sir. Anything you have for me, Brother Johnson, I want to do my best for the Lord. And right. I'm certainly open. Right. He said, okay, let, let me say this to you. And he was very kind. He wasn't sure he wasn't hurting me or uh, discouraging me. He said, you, you made one big mistake in your message tonight. He said, and I want to help you with it. I said, yes, sir, I'm ready. He said, you gave your best illustration first. Don't ever give your best illustration first. You build your illustrations with each one of them being a little more perceptive, a little more powerful, a little more to the point until the last one is like a boxer. You lay body blows and work down the body of the opposition. You save your knockout punch until you know it's ready to take effect. Wow. And that's the same way preaching is. You build your momentum in a message to a crescendo. And uh, when you do that, you keep the attention of the people, and yet you are moving forward to a, a powerful climatic conclusion. Wow. That is powerful, Brother Huntley. And we're blessed on this program. There's a lot of young, aspiring ministers that listen, and I know that's going to bless them and minister to them and help them in their prep, their prep process. Because I know a lot of uh, young ministers, they're trying to figure out how to get started. They're trying to figure out what does this look like for them. And I have found when they hear from men of God like yourself— it is such an encouragement and inspiration to them. So thank you for sharing that with us. Now, My privilege. Preachers tend to have hilarious stories. I've I've been privileged to sit around the table with you many times, Brother Huntley, and and you you're great at telling a story. But um, preachers tend to have hilarious stories about mishaps that happened to them either while they were preaching or where they were preaching. Uh, do you have any good stories that you've accumulated in your travels? Uh, that just knock it out of the park when it comes to, wow, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth of the matter is there are so many of them that it's hard for me to label one or two. <laughs> right, right. And I've right. tried to reflect on some of those funny stories. Usually they come about by what somebody else says. That sure. Creates that. And, uh, well, I'll tell you one that just happened to me recently that was, oh, my Lord, I couldn't believe that just happened to me. <laughs> I went to Brother Tom Fred Tenney's funeral. And as I passed the casket and was headed back to my seat, the place was jam-packed with people. Right. 
And my friend, Mark Foster, was walking beside me. And we were about halfway back to the Alexandria Sanctuary. And we're going to cross the middle. And my friend, Mark, said something. Wayne, I don't know what he said. Asked me a question. But he called my name. And when he called my name, there was a lady sitting not far from us. I mean, you could tell by looking at her, she, you know, had some mental challenges. Right. And so when we stepped by, she heard Mark say Wayne. And she said, Mr. Mr. Is your name Wayne? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, are you Wayne Huntley? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, oh, my God. She's right there at the funeral. She started screaming real loud. Shut up. <laughs> shut, shut up. Shut up. She said, my brother plays your messages all the time, and he turns them up so loud. He said, I'm sick of hearing it. Shut up. <laughs> I absolutely took off ran for cover. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. I, I guess that's the worst one that's ever happened to me. I, my <laughs> wife la laughed till she cried. She loved every minute of it. But, oh, I mean, that was, a, that was just right there in the midst of all these who's who a Pentecost in that building you know the, the people from all over the world come to honor uh, the esteemed Tom Frantinian this woman is screaming at me shut up and I just I mean that's the most humiliating moment of my life but it was hilarious <laughs> bless your heart oh my goodness that is next level thank you for sharing that now um, I'm kind of sliding this one in here but okay. speaking of your your messages you have uh, and, I, and I know you're a very humble person and, and you have a great spirit, but you have all of these incredible messages that stick with people. I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, the treasure is in the field, messages like this. Um, yes. You actually preached at my church. Um, you preached uh, the, the shift may change, but the store never closes. I mean, I can right. remember things that you've <laughs> preached. Uh, I mean, and it, it makes me sound like a stalker. I'm not, you know, I know you probably hear this a lot, but you have a way to do that. Do you ever find that when you travel, you know, you feel this word to preach across the country, but it's people have been watching online. Is that ever a challenge for you because you travel so much? You know what? That has been one of the greatest challenges in the last few years in my own mind. Just let me show you how far ministry has come in my perception. Yeah. When I first started preaching, you never told anybody what you were going to preach right. beforehand. Mm. You never shared the notes. You you never let anybody look at the notes. You didn't tell. It was holy and sacred. And it's like it would contaminate the message if you told it in advance. It would take off the anointing if you shared it before you preached it. Wow. And I would hide them. I didn't even share them with my wife. Nobody you till I got the pulpit. You know, it was a holy, sacred thing. The word of the Lord. You don't share that with anybody till you preach it under the anointing. Right. And also, what I did as an evangelist, of course, here's another thing I might throw in for the sake of our listeners. I still use paper notes. That doesn't mean that I don't have an iPad and I don't have devices where I could preach from a device. I use those things like uh, iPad to teach Bible studies, funerals, weddings. I can make a speech from an iPad. But only heaven knows why I cannot preach from an iPad. Wow! Okay. I can't pull the words off of an iPad like I can paper notes. Okay. Yes. I, I can't. I can't transfer it from that from that page to my mind like like I can 
on paper notes. So I've just stuck with paper notes, although all my stuff is backed up on computer. Uh, if we had time, I'd tell you an interesting story about that sometime, maybe personally, about the, the, the starting of my ministry and notes. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I've tried to stay with that, uh, the paper notes, and, and, and not go to uh, the iPad. All right, here's the point I want to make, and that is that uh, when, when I'd finished preaching, I say, a revival service, and maybe a pastor or two from the surrounding area came and visited the revival, then you're going to find this very hard to believe. But I would go to the last page of my notes on every one of my sermons that I preached, and I would write where I preached it, the pastor's church where I preached it, oh, and okay. the name of all visiting pastors. Wow, okay. So that if I preached in their church, I wouldn't preach that sermon. That makes sense, okay. Uh, and then today, I can't go anywhere, probably, that they haven't already heard it. Because I, I told the congregation— the other day in Idaho, if you, I didn't know this because you can tell I'm not very savvy on technology, but you can actually go Google my name and YouTube will bring up all the conference messages just about yeah. I've ever preached. All kinds. Yeah. Yes, sir. Every, uh, it's amazing. I didn't know that for so long. I didn't know people telling me, I watched you preach. Yeah. Where'd you get that? You know what I mean? That's, so there is no secret. So what I, I finally had to come to grips with, and brother Tenney helped me years ago with this. Brother Tenney's philosophy was the only sermon that should not be preached twice is the one that should not have been preached once. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. So I just got victory over it, and I said, well, bless God. I'm sorry. This is what I feel from the Lord here, and I'm going to deliver it. Even Paul, in one of the epistles, he told one of the churches, he said, when you finish reading this letter, he said, you take it to that other city and let them hear it. Let them read it. So there's Bible for preaching the same message, you know. Wow. And, and uh, so I, I, I had to get personal victory over it because really and truly my wife has always validated to me that I may use the same title, but in a different location, it's going to process out, process out a different way. It's not going to be the same sermon. Right. The Spirit is going to take that. Brother McLean taught me, my pastor, that preaching is like, the sermon is like the diving board. You spring into the water from your prepared notes. But when you get into the flow of the message, you pick up the stream that the Spirit is flowing in, and you follow that. My goodness. Wow. That is so, so good. I, I had to get victory over that, and I think I have. To me, I feel like, well, if you watch it somewhere else, that's your loss, not mine. I'm sorry you have to hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and just to be an encouragement to you, I have heard you preach the same message twice and uh -huh. and just because you know not not that you preached it at the same church i just i saw you at multiple right, churches right. and uh and it, it ministered to me completely different in both settings so i just wanted well, to thank you for that that encourages me i appreciate oh, it. hey it's it's the truth now um i wanted to ask you this i have the similar privilege of getting to serve in ministry alongside my family. My pastor is my father, Talmadge French. My brother Ryan is my associate pastor, and I serve as the youth pastor here. I know you've been to our church multiple times. You've ministered to us, and I'm hoping we can get you back again real soon. It'd be a privilege. Um, be a privilege. But we love the Ballesteros. We love your family, your family unit, the way that y'all operate in ministry. Uh, and I know that's the case for a lot of people. They're serving with their families 
what is it like serving in local church ministry alongside your family? Well, it honestly is no greater blessing in all the world than to have my son-in-law, Brian Ballestero, to be the pastor of the Temple of Pentecost. That's beautiful. I, of course, that is not something that happens overnight. Um, it is a matter of a lifetime of praying. It's a matter of a lifetime of sensitivity. You, you can't just pick and choose. And if you try to do that through heritage or tradition or people that have been iconic in Pentecost, as we've sadly learned in these last days, just because someone was raised in a powerful home does not mean they're going to be powerful. Just because their granddaddy was such and such man does not mean they're going to love the apostolic truth. Right. Yeah. And so you, you can't just go by family traditions. And I'll be honest, I think some of our preachers have made mistakes by trying to prearrange marriages with somebody whose family is iconic or well-known. Sure. Uh, that's a dangerous path to pursue. Right. Uh, only God knows the future. And so you have you have to be sensitive, to be open, to whoever God would want to use. I often refer to myself. Uh, you know, I was a son of a of an alcoholic, and uh, you know, if I had to go by my pedigree or by my family name, uh, I wouldn't have a chance in Pentecost. You know, right? I, I, I'm from the outside. Wow. Uh, but uh, I found that when Christy got ready to marry Brian, he called me. Of course, I, I do have a, a humorous side to me, fun. I enjoy living. I like I like laughter. I like, right. you know, jokes. And so yeah, I I'd always that. planned that when the young man calls me to ask for my daughter's hand, that I was going to give him grief. You know, I was going to enjoy that moment. Right. Well, he called us late at night one night and asked me, could he marry Christy? You know, I was too late to be funny. It was He caught me off guard. <laughs> he took, <laughs> took me totally out of my plan. Right. And so I just said, well, Brian, let me tell you this. I really don't know you that well. But I said, I do know Christy. And if Christy feels you're the one, I know how she's been raised. I know how she's been taught. I know her convictions. I know her passion for God. And I have all the confidence in the world that if she says you're the one, you're the one. Wow. And we're going to support you 100%. And so he came into our family. And my wife at that moment, after I hung up, she said, did Brian ask you to marry Christy? I said, he did. She said, well, call him right back right now and give him a job, offer him a job. Because she said once his family has about 80 or 90 apostolic preachers in their family tree. And right. she said, once they find out that they're available, they're going to try to hire them at their church. <laughs> we have got to beat them to the draw. Right, right. And I so I said, would you come, me. would you come be our youth pastor? <laughs> he said, certainly. So we got to jump on him. But working with family is the greatest privilege in all the world because family uh, knows your heart. Yeah. Sometimes people get offended by your words or your actions if they don't know your heart. Right. But when they know your heart, they can discern between what it meant, what you said or what you did and what you meant, you know. Uh, so family is the greatest blessing of all to work together. And of course, I, I've never preached this, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a strong believer in the, in the, uh, new Testament priesthood that it is God's will for preacher sons to be preachers. I mean, in a sense, what a waste if a boy is raised in a pastor's home 
and he's made uh, aware and, and made, even if he's sitting at the table playing a game, he's listening to ministerial conversation. Right. And he's he's made available to so much insight and so much uh, inspiration and knowledge that if he doesn't follow in ministry, all that is wasted. Wow. It's just it's a great privilege. He grows into that ministry by osmosis. He doesn't even he doesn't even realize how much of that is getting into his 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 psyche, yeah. into his emotion. And when God calls him, he has a backlog of experience that puts him light years ahead. Wow. And so Never thought of that. I realize that some people think that we have nepotism in the church, but I think God was kind of that way himself, uh, promoting your own, you know, giving your own these advantages. And But, of course, I also believe that preachers' kids pay for every advantage they get. Right, right. Somebody needs to hear that. Yeah. You know, they don't, they're not just giving a silver spoon to success and progress. They pay a price that others do not pay. Uh, they right. endure circumstances that others know nothing about. So in a sense, I feel like every privilege they get is met with equal challenge and the negativism that they have to overcome. So I'm strongly in favor of, of the availability of ministry to be kept in the family. And of course, you're just naturally together more. You don't have to set up outside meetings, interrupt people's schedules. Family is able to discuss and plan and have heart-to-heart talks just automatically. It just fits, you know, and it flows. So, uh, plus, like Brian Ballestero brought into our family a different uh, aspect of the apostolic church. I don't have any heritage, really. You could almost say I'm first generation, right? which that was a challenge to me to create a family, to create a house. He's, the Lord told David, I'm going to make you a house. He said, right. I'm not going to let you build me a house. I'm going to make you a house. Make you a house. Wow. And so I want it to be used of God to make a house, whether the name Huntley in the United Pentecostal Church could be something going forward that would establish ministry and uh, wow. things that God could use in his kingdom. Praise God. So I, I feel that uh, God wants to use family, and, and it's a great asset. And when Brother Ballastero came into our family, he brought an iconic background of traditional heritage and lineage of apostolic ministry that is phenomenal. If you ever hear him preach, you'll hear him tell stories about his grandparents. I don't have stories like that. I'm glad my grandchildren are a part of such a heritage. And we, we blend those things. And so he brings his strength. We bring our strength. We allow him to be who he is. He has never been intimidated by me. He's never tried to copy my ministry. He's never been offended by whatever has been given to me. He's he's secure in his own skin, which a man has got to be. Yeah. And uh, he moves forward with the ministry that God has given him, always crediting us, my wife and I, as the founder of the church, and uh, always realizing there wouldn't be a church without us. And yet he moves forward as God leads him, and it has been a beautiful thing. Wow. That is some life-changing, powerful advice. Thank you so much, Brother Huntley, for, for your life and for your ministry. I'm very thankful that you would take the time to speak with me today and to invest in the listeners today, not just to speak to them, but you have invested in us today. Would you do us the privilege of just praying over us, praying over their ministries, and praying over our day today? Thank you very much, Brother French. And I deeply appreciate you, your passion, your vision, 
your burden to avail young preachers so you've been raised in the ministry around a wonderful man of god a walk-in apostle a man of great spiritual revelation and integrity your life has been so greatly blessed but you're willing to share what others have not had the experience of and i thank you for it very very much father today i pray for every person who will hear this podcast i pray oh god that their lives will be challenged that the anointing of the Lord would penetrate the flesh and go deep to their souls, to their spirits, cause them to realize that you are who uh, you they are who you call. They are the one you desire. They may feel like a nothing, but you've proven God. You take nothing and turn it into something Thank powerful. I ask you, Lord, to help them today to stay connected to you in their conviction, in their calling, in their vision, in their passion. Give them the courage, Lord, to stand for truth and not be swayed by a world that's in vacillation and uncertainty. Let the will of God be done in their lives. Put a special anointing upon them that will produce and be the origination of an apostolic revival wherever you call them. Keep them close to you, Lord, and protect their minds, their bodies, their souls, and their spirits. And most of all, let them love you and live for you and lift you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Jesus' name. Brother Huntley, thank you so much. I I wanted to close out the program today by just saying this. You may not even remember this, but when I was 19 years old, you caught wind that I had a call to preach on my life. And uh, I ended up speaking at The Bridge, which at that time was your college and career ministry at the church. I'm not sure if it's still called The Bridge. but, um, But when you caught wind that that I felt a call to preach. I don't know if you remember this, but you asked me to come to your office and you wrote a letter to every church in the surrounding area, uh, you know, recommending yes, me to come. I remember that. And, uh, and I, here I was 19 years old, <laughs> felt like an absolute nobody. And, uh, and my van wasn't working well. I, I drove an old van and you said, bring your van to the church. I I want to get it fixed for you so you can go to your next meeting. And, uh, and I just want to say thank you so much for caring about me when I was, I'm 30 years old now, so that's been 11, 11 years ago. But uh, I just wanted to say thank you. That, that to me, that impacted me in ways that you'll, you will never know. So thank you for being you. Thank you for investing into the next generation. Thank you for investing into your family and being an example to all of us of what we can be called to be. Thank you for your time today, Brother Huntley. I love you. Please greet Sister Huntley for me and the rest of your beautiful family. Well, I love you and thank you for the high privilege and your family as well. God bless now. Hey, God bless. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.